Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I'm happy to be here with Mike and Sarah Olmsted. And also, uh, my son Billy is joining us, too, with uh, passing around cups of Monte for us to enjoy. That's a um, drink from, where's the drink from, Billy? Argentina. Mike and Sarah are friends of ours. They're from Monroe, Wisconsin. Uh, they are EMTs. They um, make quilts in their home. That's not patchwork quilts, but what kind of, how would you describe it? It's called long arm quilting. So we okay. take the pieced top and combine it with the batting and the backing to create the finished product of the quilt. So okay. it's the stitches that hold all three layers together. Okay, cool. And they have a dog named Zoe. And we're just um, been enjoying their visit here in the St. Louis area. We went to Missouri Botanical Gardens today. And to, tonight, I believe that um, there's an event, a uh, Hispanic event up at Rockport tonight. Well, um, Mike and Sarah, um, I'm just going to ask you guys some questions about yourself and just really just kind of dive into it. What have you learned in life that has been really significant for you? Something that has um, changed your life? Well, EMS has definitely brought a lot of uh, awareness to different events and different um, like life circumstances that has been, I think, life-changing for both of us. Yeah, that's probably true. EM EMS, you said? Yeah. So we get to be involved in a lot of uh, circumstances that we wouldn't normally see yeah. that include a lot of uh, different aspects of life, whether it be beginning of life or end of life, and then dif just people who are living um, either because of like physical disability or some socioeconomic circumstances that we wouldn't like you know that it's out there, but you don't see it firsthand until you're in a type of service industry that shows it to you, and particularly in moments when those people are in need of help. Yeah, so you're in a lot of different homes and stuff like that. Yeah. We have four ambulances, but we only staff one full-time. So our primary ambulance is always staffed with a paramedic, an EMT, and a driver. The driver doesn't have to be a licensed EMT, but oftentimes is. And right now I'm filling that EMT line. Um, I'll be finishing out my paramedic licensing program at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. But um, since the other three ambulances aren't staffed and we live in town, I will oftentimes leave quilting to run second, third, or fourth ambulance calls during the day and in the middle of the night. So okay, that's what keeps us busy. Well, um, here's something to think about. What qualities do you tend to value in other people? Just either one of you who might have a response to that. Honesty, I think, both of us. Yeah, I think. Honesty, a genuineness, I guess. Okay. Um, I'm typically pretty slow to open up to people. <laughs> I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> um. I am drawn to people who care about other people and about life, about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and also kind of to people who are on the very opposite end of that spectrum and just are in like emotionally a hard place that just don't care and 
I tend to want to befriend them. Okay. You know, when it comes to honesty, like, um, why is that such a, you know, something that you value so highly? Uh, Trust, I guess. I mean, relationships are built on trust, and honesty would be a huge part of that. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you're you're going to have a relationship or a friendship or whatever with somebody, then, I mean, you're going to be vulnerable to some degree to them. So to have the confidence that that won't be uh, abused or mistreated, I guess, is we all want to feel confident in that, I guess, or feel a little secure in that. Okay. I think another quality that I enjoy is what I found is people that tend to be quieter um, (laughs) in the same sense that I am. I don't use a lot of words, and I don't mind people, other people that don't use a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) But so, um, so why is that? I don't know. Personality, I guess. to give an example, for me to be sitting in the same room as somebody and there to be no conversation, that's not at all weird or mm-hmm. awkward to me necessarily. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Sarah, if you're sitting in the same room as somebody and there's not conversation, then someone's mad at somebody and that just isn't always the case. So. Why would mm-hmm. you sit in the same room if you're not going to talk? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It's nonverbal communication. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so is um, there not being honesty in people or not being a genuineness or something like that ever frustrating? Or do you see that sometimes? Or Yeah, I think everyone sees that from time to time. Um, I think it's hard not to be frustrated to some degree from that. The, I think like a lot of people, a common result would just be to kind of shut down some from that or from them, I should say, to where you're not sharing as much with them. So, I mean, people learn, you know who they can trust and who they can't and to what degrees or things like that. And you tell somebody something and the next day everybody knows it, that you didn't want to know it. You learn not to tell them those things. So it's kind of a, yeah. So you're talking about, you know, confidentiality and that type of thing, I guess. Yeah. I guess in that comment, in that regard. Yeah. Um, do you ever, um, have you ever met someone who it just seemed like, you know, just, you know, an open and honest conversation where it's just there and there's like not defensiveness. It can just be things can be laid out on the table and stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met someone who it just didn't seem like that was possible for them or like um, somehow that kind of conversation just doesn't didn't click with them or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh-huh. A lot of times people aren't going to open up to you the first time they meet you unless you're in some kind of profession where that's expected. Mm-hmm. So from a personal standpoint, I, I think it's very common to have different people in your life that don't open up to you, whether it be because you don't see them enough or you just don't have that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what does the ideal day look like for you? <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. Um, I don't, I really don't know that I have a good answer for that because of the um, variability of our days. So mm-hmm. an average day would start after Mike leaves for work. I would do a couple house chores, let the dog out, start quilting. At some point, get interrupted by a secondary or tertiary ambulance call and go running out the door hoping that I remembered to turn the correct lights and my iron off before I left. Um, Get back two to three hours later and keep quilting. Maybe actually get to the end of a project. Um, And hopefully be home when Mike gets home from work. But depending on when those calls come out, I might be gone for an hour or... Another one comes before I even leave the station, so I'm gone for five or six hours. Um, and then come home and finish quilting and make supper and do more quilting before eating and heading up to maybe watch a movie and go to bed. But um, I think ideally I would be finishing like all of my quilting work before I run ambulance calls or have enough time to do both. So uh, you're kind of re- referring to like an ideal day as far as like kind of getting things done. You want to get done and, you know, just kind of carrying on yeah. with life and stuff like that. I think before we started working on an ambulance, my ideal day would have um, been a lot more laid back and not included any like hurry or like, adrenaline rush of any sort just like finish everything you need to do don't live by the tyranny of the urgent but uh since that's sort of the lifestyle that we've pursued even not just chosen but pursued almost all of our days hold some form of emergency not ours but Mm -hmm. someone's um yeah and it's very strange to go multiple days without dealing with anything so i almost start like looking over my shoulder and feeling like something must be going on and I'm missing it. Something bad's about to happen any moment. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't helped somebody else in need. I hope like, am I, what's coming? Um, Whenever um, you're feeling like just really satisfied with life and you're feeling joy and just meaning in your life, what are you doing at that time? Recently, I think a lot of that has come after, and I almost hesitate to say it because some people might hear it the wrong way, but I think a lot of that for me comes after a really bad call when someone was really hurt or really sick and we helped them appropriately to the point where you know, they made it to the hospital alive or they got out of that car accident without dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not at all because they were hurt or in a bad situation, but because 
uh, we were there to help them and we're able to maybe bring a little bit of peace to their chaos and a little bit of calm to their storm. So I, I feel like a lot of times that's when I really feel like I'm really doing what the Lord has called me to do. And here's the, here's the fruit of that. Um, and sometimes even when it isn't really bad, maybe just when someone, uh, like really needs to go to a higher level of care. So we end up talking for an hour, hour and a half as we drive to a bigger hospital and we get to the end of that drive and they're like, Hey, I was feeling really crummy before we left and I didn't really even want to be around. And then you started talking to me and I'm feeling, I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling like life is worth living. Um, So some of those conversations really Mm -hmm. are very meaningful. Yeah. Well, Mike, um, who or what in the culture at large has been impactful and influential in your life? As a general broad statement or secular or or just whoever spiritually or just, or just whatever way. Um, People that have been impactful to me, I would have to say would be those that I've spent time around uh, in the sense that, uh, from, so I, I guess where I'm going is, you know, people like, uh, my parents, who obviously had a big part in molding who I am. Um, the, uh, two pastors that we have right now have been fairly influential, I would say, not necessarily, well, not on a, from a sense of being like one-on-one face-to-face with me, but just in um, the way that they express their love towards others and how they're shepherding those under them. Um, also, more from... Uh, outside or not necessarily spiritually, but uh, different people at uh, the EMS in the EMS world, uh, possibly, or I, I would say, uh, the instructors that we had for school and things like that, um, who have who care about people and are not showing that necessarily, well, they are showing that by helping people in EMS, but uh, also by teaching others so that others can help in uh, kind of similar senses, you know, someone that's discipling someone and able to have them then go out and disciple others so the that labor is multiplied so, I don't know. That. Yeah. Well, Sarah, um, what about yourself? And besides those who are close to you, is there anything in culture, such as a movie or 
book or person, um, you know, that's impacted your life? Uh, so I listened to a lot of Vodhi Bakum okay. sermons growing up, and I think that has definitely uh, impacted me. Uh, also, Paul Washer. Um, my mom used to listen to Nancy Lee DeMoss every every day. And I think especially uh, being married now, I can see a lot of her teachings in just the way I think even, the way that she applied scripture to married life and home life and uh, the way you think. So I, um, my mom learned, I believe, from her one of her series about controlling your thought life. So um, taking every thought captive. And when you're having a really bad day, you don't just keep going in your bad day. You stop and you, if you have to, you go to the mirror and you say, stop thinking like this, turn it around and you pray through things. And so things that I didn't really think about growing up because that's just sort of how my mom taught me to think and deal with things. But now as an adult and meeting adults from other churches and from a greater, you know, a bigger circle, essentially. Um, learning that that's not necessarily normative to think like that, and it's not necessarily normative to understand that your emotions don't control you. You have to control your emotions. Hmm. Um, and then also, like, facing more struggles with that. Like, it's not as easy always to control your emotions as when you're a kid or when you're in like under such specific discipling and tutelage as when you live with your parents. So I definitely think that Nancy DeMoss's teachings has impacted me, and I, I should correct myself. She's married now, so her name is Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth. Okay, and that's if and she's an author, is that right? Yeah, she is okay. an author and speaker and runs a women's ministry called Revive Our Hearts. Okay. Um, well, who has made an impact on your life because they were a loving person? And I guess I'll ask this to you, Sarah, because Mike already, he, you know, he kind of expressed that. And what did the, what did love in their life look like? And how did that impact you? The first example that comes to my mind and kind of the most prominent one that I can think of would be my parents. Um, my, my parents didn't necessarily grow up learning from either of their parents specifically how to love well. Um, not that it was like always not shown or talked about, but it was something that in their Christian life they really had to uh, work towards and be specific about um, both in their marriage and in, in like family life and in ministry life. So um, really seeing them purpose to learn to love well and to teach their children to love well. So that specifically has definitely had a lasting impact on me and um, the way that they uh, treated people even when, like as a kid, you know and you hear things. So even when there was tension, the way that they treated each other and other people really stands out to me in my memory. Is there any kind of um, example you can give as far as like in your family where um, it was like, you know, we're going to love in this situation 
because it's the right thing and rather than just what would, you know, be whatever your family was struggling against, you know? Sure. So there was a, there was a family in our lives that was just particularly high maintenance, I guess you could say. They, they were just in a hard spot and needed a lot of attention and a lot of energy. And it was, it just got very heavy. Like it wore on all of us, but my, my mom kept loving them really, really well for, for a very long time and kept giving us the tools to do that. So, and I mean, as kids, it's really hard to keep going when people are driving you crazy or anything like that. And she, she kept giving us the tools. So she would say, okay, you don't have to share all of your toys or you don't have to have this game out when they come but if you don't want to share it or you don't want to play that with them you have to put it up and bring an option so that they have something to do or so that you have something else to help them because they're just struggling right now and we need to love them so um and then also um just really encouraging us that you know, this isn't about you, this isn't about us, it's about Jesus, and showing them the love of Jesus, even though it's hard for us right now, because it's worth it for the kingdom. It's worth it to um, to love on them because God loves us. So that was just really impactful in in adult life, when people are difficult and you don't want to do something I can look back and see how faithful God was through my parents loving that family and knowing them now, how, how far they've come through all of that. And just some of the encouragement that we were able to provide in the midst of a hard time in their life when they were just tired, really. This family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we still see them occasionally and they're, they're all doing wonderfully it was just great. a challenging part of their lives because of different circumstances and mm-hmm. it's encouraging to see the faithfulness of god years down the road yeah is there anything just either one of you any um, particular struggles or things in your you know your lives or your family lives that wasn't um right or just a challenge that um you know, you can just see how God's grace was sufficient for it, or you can even see maybe how that was used for some good purpose that you're thankful for now. Or, you know, does anything like that come to mind, either one of you guys? You know, I meant to ask you about this before we started, and I totally forgot. <laughs> you want to go there? I'm not sure what you're referring to. Are you willing to talk about our infertility stuff? You can, I suppose, or we can. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we've been married six years, and um, not by our own choice, have not had any children yet, uh, which has been difficult at different times. Um, I don't think that I've necessarily seen a lot of good come of it. I think it's helped to some degree with learning contentment. Um, It's kind of just one of those things that's an ongoing thing that we're working through. Um, Been a lot 
easier for me to work through it than for Sarah. Um, and I won't say easier. Um, maybe easier is the wrong word, but she's more outward in her <laughs> emotion than I am. So, mm-hmm. um, that's probably been the most standout, uh, difficult thing that we've continually been working through. So, mm-hmm. hmm. okay. Um, yeah, I think, and I'm laughing and smiling as I'm crying here, but um, <clears throat> it has been a very interesting internal struggle working through it over the years. Um, the only thing I ever really wanted to do was be a mom. So six months into our marriage, when I still wasn't pregnant, I was starting to freak out because I'd looked at the statistics and knew, like, if you've never been on birth control and you're trying to get pregnant, it should happen by now. And then a year, I'm like, this is never happening. And Mike's like, it's been a year, relax. And I'm like, no, it's like never happening. We have to change our whole life plan. Uh, So learning to trust God as, as dreams die. Sarah definitely likes having a a rigid plan as far as what's going to happen and and things like that, just generally speaking. And I'm very much more a go with the flow, whatever is happening is happening. Um, So for her having planned to be a mom and then that not happening is like she needs a feels that she needs a plan to replace that and that's a difficult kind of plan to replace uh, because Mm -hmm. it's it's not like a job i mean being a mom is not a job and i i don't mean that to say that it's less than that i mean that that it's so much more than that like that's Mm -hmm. an all-encompassing part of life so i mean we have the quilting business that's not the kind of thing that can replace parenthood. Like it, it's different. So mm-hmm. from that sense, um, it's been really difficult for her to, to find some kind of purpose to replace that. Cause like I say, that really, that, that really doesn't exist per se. Right. Mm-hmm. And even though we've been, you know, going through life and doing all these various things with the business, with EMS, with, with all of that, it, it's all different and it's all, it doesn't fill that cup, if you will. Um, so that's been a, a particular struggle for Sarah mm-hmm. and because that was what was going to consume her her life her entire day. So, right. and I think that's why it's more been more difficult for her because I, for me, I'm still doing the same thing that I would have been doing a majority of the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, being a father is the same as being a mother. But when you're working full time, I mean, if I was a dad, I would still be working full time. So, from a worldly sense or a, a carnal sense or whatever i'm still doing the same thing um so it i haven't had that same degree of unfulfillment i guess 
Mm-hmm. Now that I'm breathing again. <laughs> so, uh, learning to trust God as dreams die has been a really interesting journey for me because I would have always said that I trusted him and that I trusted him with life how he had it for me and for us. But then when faced with a with a different plan than I thought he had, because I really did think, and I to some degree do still think, that that is part of his plan for us. Um, but I had not recognized that it was part of a plan, not the plan, and that there would be such a delay in getting to that. So... When we first got married, I would have said, if God doesn't want us to have kids, then he doesn't want us to have kids, and I'm okay with that. But then actually working through getting to the point of saying I'm okay with that and looking at it as, like, this isn't just a possible reality, this is reality, was a really interesting internal struggle. And it has been amazing to me how he's worked in my heart to bring me to that point, to really be able to say, like... I'm okay with giving up this dream because he has something else. And it might not be something that I think is better, but he is so much greater than our plans that if he says it's better, it is. And I trust him in that. And that trust is a lot more tangible now than it was six years ago when it was a theoretical, like, I can say that I trust him in that. Because I've never had to. But now when I when I can say, yes, I'm trusting his goodness is better than my plan, it's very tangible to us. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, um, you guys ready for the speed round? Sure. <laughs> Is this like a one word answer? Like one word quick? How do, what, what's the rules? <laughs> How do we win? <laughs> How do we win? <laughs> it's the first time I've we've ever been doing this. So. <laughs> we'll see if we can be speedy. We'll set the bar high. All right. Mike, what's the last book you completed? The last book that I completed was the... S- Sign of Four by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Audiobook. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I can do it. (laughs) Sarah, what were you most proud of yourself about when you were a teenager? Oh, boy. Um, Speed round. (laughs) Can I pass? I have no idea. (laughs) I think maybe my family? Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be that's good. Uh, Mike, if you would have lunch with someone that you didn't know personally, who would that be? Alive or dead? It don't matter. Doesn't matter. That's a pretty difficult one. I would have a hard time not saying um a family member um whether it be mom or dad's side um for someone that's dead but 
as far as for someone that's alive. Someone I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm content with the people I know. <laughs> sure. Maybe Nancy DeMoss? Okay. Sarah, if you could change something about how your church functions, what would it be? I've recently had this idea that it would be really neat to have the same Sunday school teacher or Sunday school teachers, plural, follow the same age group of kids from preschool all the way through high school. And there's a couple, I've identified a couple of things about that that would be difficult, but I think that's something that I would really like to see at least tried. <laughs> but I haven't asked them if they would try it yet, so I can't really say that they wouldn't either. What would you say, Mike? Something about the way they function that I would change? or some Yeah. Um... I don't know. I guess I'm fairly content with the way they do things for the most part. The very, very recently we've had a, a Hispanic population that's started using our church building with the intention of joining the church. Uh, so I guess I kind of expect it to happen anyway, but more of an integration of that congregation or that body of believers into uh, the body of believers that's already there and a, a acceptance of them, you know, the love of Christ, the, the, their joining or using our building has been extremely positive, which I'm super happy about. Uh, so I, I kind of expect that that's going to happen, but I should say it isn't yet, so that. All right. All right, keep it brief. What's one thing you would like young people to know who are like yourself when you were growing up, Mike? Mm, keep it brief. <laughs> Speed round. Um That's a good question. Probably uh, from a practical sense to save save money while you're still living with your parents and working and yeah. you have money that you can spend on really stupid things and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Sarah, what's one thing you'd like young people to know who are like yourself when you were growing up? I had more time to think about it than Mike. I know. <laughs> I saw you thinking. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, God's plans are better and he will be faithful. Mike, what tends to be the discussion topic when you are having a stimulating discussion with someone? Uh, to, I would say so stimulating in the sense of fulfilling, maybe. or I, th I think... Uh, for me, that would probably be giving advice to somebody or listening to someone that's 
in need of advice or in need of getting something off their mind. Uh, that's something that I really enjoy, and it's not super common for people to spill their guts to you, but it's an enjoyable thing when people do trust you to the point of seeking your advice on a matter. So I think that's probably what I would say. Sarah, what tends to be the discussion topic when you're having a stimulating discussion with someone? EMS. EMS? So either like how long a person has to live after their heart stops beating or how fast you would bleed out if you cut an artery, mm-hmm. something along the lines of uh, something to do with emergency mm-hmm. medical okay. services and hmm. medical emergencies or trauma. Okay. Well, thanks for having this conversation and it's just been a privilege for me and I'm just thankful for you guys and for how God's working in your lives. And it's just, uh, just a blessing to know y'all. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.